0: Crime World is brought to you in association with Manscaped, who provide an incredible, complete men's grooming experience. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools and is trusted by over two million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for Crime World listeners twenty percent off and free shipping with the code CrimeWorld at Manscaped.com the a
1: The
0: I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld. In Ireland and across the globe, Kinahan mob prison party to celebrate the birthday of a dangerous criminal is held behind bars in an Irish jail. An inmate uses his smartphone to upload a video where suspected hitman Trevor Byrne jokes with the Limerick criminal about high-powered weapons. And later, he poses with pals and gives the thumbs-up to the camera. But are the jailhouse antics serious cause for concern or are they simply a face-saving exercise for embattled lags? Today, I'm talking to journalist Damon Dillon about contraband, convicts and the pressures on the Irish Prison Service. This is Crime World Extra, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I and mean, those voices we heard are featured in a video that's up on the Sunday World website and it's part of a story that was broken in the paper at the weekend about Trevor Byrne celebrating his 40th birthday behind bars and it looked as if they were having a bit of fun, a uh, bit of drink perhaps, a little bit of carousing and uh, a little bit of humour about guns and shooting people.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose the significant thing about... The video is the fact that they have a mobile phone behind bars. Um, I mean, like it, in the group, along with Trevor Byrne, was a number of people that were very much linked with the Kinnhin Cartel, um, like Graham Gardner, who's doing a nine-year sentence for. Uh, I think he he was basically one of the one of the guys storing guns for the gang. Uh, Kevin Gibson, um, Glenn Thompson, Robert Brown. You probably know more about these people than I do. In fairness, Nicola, I, I mean they're they're. um they're, they're all considered, you know, serious enough gangsters. I mean, Br- Brown was the guy who got 12 and a half years for, um, he, he was part of one of those um, attempts to set up uh, uh, Patsy Hutch for murder. Uh, it's, but uh, I, I suppose that the point that we're getting at, uh, I think, today is the fact that these guys are able to, you know, they, they have no problem accessing, you know, smartphones or decent phones which means to some extent that they're they're still active. I mean, if they're able to be in communication with, uh, you know, other members of the gang, whether it's, you know, through family members or, or on a direct line to somebody else who's passing on messages, it, you know, it means that they're still in play. And, and what people forget is that there's often still a lot to play for. So, I mean, some of these guys, I mean, they might be, you know, they, they might be doing long stretches and you know, and on the kind of the, the face of it, they would have seen minor enough. They were you know hired gunmen or whatever to carry out something quite serious, but when they're in jail, then they do have an opportunity to stay within the gang because all these locked up people are actually a very lucrative drugs market. So uh, and uh, you know, if you have a big prison like you know Wheatfields, where I think it's eight, eight, around eight hundred people locked up, and you know close to that figure, then from Mountjoy. Uh, you know, it's a big market, and the fact that you know drugs that are sold on the outside are actually worth three to four times as much on the inside because they're hard to get. And if anything, they're, they're probably the prices inside have gone up. So, you know, it's 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 well worthwhile for the drug gangs to try and control that trade on on the inside.
0: You also have a situation where we know that a lot of those locked up. Um, affiliated with the Kinahan organisation are on a payroll because the fact of the matter is they continue to be paid by their mafia organisation for their silence. Nobody wants one of them to start talking and they have to be kept happy. And there is a system in place that uh, money is paid as a salary to them. So they have some disposable income, although many of them would be, um, that money would be passed to their families on the outside. Um, so it's a it's a peculiar uh, situation. A lot of ordinary people think when somebody goes behind bars, that's it. They don't see the light of day until they walk back out. But in actual fact, as we could hear from that video, they, you know, they joke, they sing, they watch telly. They do a lot of things that we do in the ordinary world as well. And um, maybe we'll come to the reasons for that in a while. But first up, um, the... Birthday celebrant in that video and uh, the the key person um, who the story was based on is Trevor Byrne. And Byrne is serving 17 and a half years in prison. He got uh, a sentence last year on five charges relating to a 2010 armed robbery. But he was already doing nine years because he was caught with a gun. Byrne is a long time linked to the Kinnahan organisation. He is suspected of, at least John Gilligan believes he was the man who tried to shoot him twice in 2013 and 2014. He was somebody who was arrested and quizzed in relation to the murder of um, Eddie Hutch, the monk's brother, who was killed in the days after the Regency hotel attack and the first retaliatory uh, murder of the, the feud to come. So he's a he's a very significant player and um, he's there and he's smiling and enjoying his birthday. So what is going on in the prisons and how difficult is it for the Irish Prison Service to keep control on these people and to try and keep, you know, some sort of control within the prisons when there's so many of them together?
1: No, it, it is a huge problem um, and we, we've We've kind of we've definitely touched on that, all right. In the in the Sunday World in recent times, they use a, a colour coding system with the different filings, different files that they have on the different prisons to make sure that you know a Hutch related um, prisoner or a Kinnahan related prisoner aren't put together on the same landing. Um, like normally, a prisoner will come in. I think it was actually in a, a recent episode of Kin where we saw Viking arrive into jail and he's asked are you under you know are, are you under threat from any other prisoner and he of course you know being cocky is pretending no i'm not but that actually is the way it, go- it happens they are actually asked you know are you under threat from anybody you know these guys to be to be put on protection the seen as losing face so what you got to do is kind of is to, is to tough it out the reality is is that you know if even even these hardened Criminals, like if they're if they're on their own in a in a in a prison landing or they haven't got you know backup that they can trust, they, they are going to be attacked. And we've seen a few incidents of that in the last couple of years where people have been you know quite badly injured. And only for the the kind of the intervention by either staff or another prisoner, you know, somebody could easily, you know, have, have, have suffered worse damage.
0: And are they keeping them in separate prisons, I Eamon? Or,
1: you know, are they, is it that serious? It's it's a huge challenge, I think, for the IPS. And I mean, m- most of the kind of the Hutch-affiliated people now are kept in a particular landing. I think it's uh, 3G in, in Wheatfield. Uh, and then most of the Kinahan cartel-related people are in Mount Joy. And there's, there's obviously, there's a lot more of the kinahan related you know, are linked to people there at the minute than there would be <clears throat> in, in terms of, of the Hutches. But like, I mean, apart from all that, I mean, they have to keep various Limerick um, gangs apart and they have to keep, you know, v- various feuding, members of various feuding clans apart as well. So, I mean, you know, it, they start running out of prison spaces qu- pretty quick if somebody's disruptive and they have to move them, you know, uh, away as a, either a punishment or, or to get them to calm down. And and as well as that, then you you find if if somebody's becoming overly dominant in a prison where they it's clear that they've become you know a powerful inmate and that they have they're controlling the, the supply of drugs or phones in, in a particular prison, they'll move them on as well. And they, they have been doing that. You wrote wrote about that recently, Nicola, as well, um, where they've been they've been shipping guys around, and it's very much aimed at trying to disrupt what are organised criminals trying to stay in the game, trying to still control the prison trade. Uh, and, and it's about power. And I think even even that video, you know, that I mean, it's a recent enough video with Trevor Byrne, even that kind of it, it kind of it does two things. I mean, in a sense, they're in prison. They are technically in a position of weakness and they're trying to show on the one hand that they're, they're, they're doing They're doing their time. It's no bother to them. You know, life is good. We're locked up. But so what? We're still able to have the crack. So in one sense, you can say that's kind of trying to project certain elements of power to, to whoever they're trying to project that to. But on the other side of it, uh, you know, looking up the hill, they're also trying to project the, the the idea that they're not weak, that they're not carrying inside, that they're not possibly a, a danger of, of, of flipping and, 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 and talking to the guards in in you know, the hope that they'll get some kind of a deal and get out early or move to an open prison or whatever. So, I mean... It's coming from both sides. It's one, trying to project power, but also it's also about trying not to show weakness. And, you know, sometimes these
0: videos, when they do get out, you know, they might result in some searches of cells and all the rest of it. But it's always occurred to me, and you know more about the prison system and what goes on, that it's a planned release of these videos. They don't get out kind of, you know, by accident, that they are sanctioned to release them. They're always (laughs) exactly, as you say, having fun. Living it up, having a great time at the expense of the taxpayer, laughing at their crimes. This kind of—it's constantly that sort of a, a narrative that they're projecting. You never see the bad side of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and for all we know, like you know, the, the bit of dialogue that you can hear in this video. That there could be a specific reference in that to somebody, and it's 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 very much intended as intimidation. I mean, they're they're joking about making the noise of a machine gun. They're talking about, what about the Mossberg, which is a type of shotgun? Oh, yeah, it goes off with a big bang. I mean, you know, we don't know that's not directed to someone outside, like, keep your mouth shut, or this is what you're going to get. So, I mean, that has to be taken into account. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why when people say, you know, well, why can't prisoners just be able to make phone calls and stay in touch with their families? It'll help their rehabilitation and so on. Well, the reason is is because as we see with some of these guys, they continue the business, but they also, if they have access to the outside world, they're going to continue to make threats. Uh, you know, they're going to try and intimidate people, intimidate witnesses. You know, especially if they have appeals coming up and if, you know, if, if, if something important, you know, like uh, somebody changes their statement or new evidence emerges, like they can they can try and 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 you know game the system by By getting at people on the outside. So, I mean, that's one of the key reasons. I mean, even even at the non gangland stuff, I mean, the idea that, you know, somebody serving time for sexual offenses would have a phone and to think that they might even be able to, you know, contact their victims is just horrific. And that and that has happened as well. And like we spoke recently, you and I
0: about Johnny Johnny Mangan, who was using a phone to intimidate uh, an individually claimed Odom drug money while he was actually incarcerated in an open prison and later escaped. So yeah, that goes on. Now, you referred earlier to the prisons being very lucrative drug markets. You could have eight hundred, and a large amount of that population being drug users. Um, now, drug users probably recreationally on the outside, but there's no doubt, but prison life must be boring. And, you know, there is an element of a need for escape from it. And, you know, no matter how much these guys smile in the videos, in the end of the day, they've left behind children. They're locked up. They've lost their their freedom. But the power of controlling that market and getting in the contraband, getting the phones in, being the one who can supply the drugs, whatever else they, they bring in, that you know, tablets, alcohol, and those those mini phones, I think, in particular. Explain that and how that works. And how, in the name of God, do you get contraband into a prison?
1: Well, before I explain that, I just if anyone's listened to this while eating their lunch, I suggest you wait um, and come back to us a little bit later. I, like, I, I, oh, dear I, God. Like, there's a lot of different things. And, I mean, it has changed because of COVID. As soon as there was the outbreak um as soon as the pandemic began, the prison service basically stopped um, visitors, and and that really was the main source. It was, it was people, you know, visiting, you know, bringing in the contraband. And I explained the different some of the different methods, and then as well as that was remand prisoners uh, who were who were coming back in, or you know, people that were, you know, had been out on day release and they were back in as well. I mean, for instance, you had. Uh, a, a recent one i uh, you know a source was, was telling us recently about um, a roman prisoner arrived back in the midlands prison and he had three mini mobile phones these are ones they're about the size of i don't know the top half of your thumb he's, he's done pictures of these and he had 800 tablets in in three kinder eggs now they were wrapped in uh, a condom and he had them secreted internally in his body so that's one way of, of getting your drugs in uh, and like we did a story not so long ago about there was a. a I have so many questions about that. No, we'll just leave it there. I think Nicola, but <laughs> there was another similar one where um, a, a, a prisoner came back to Rhee and he had he had a, a, something like thousands of drugs. It wasn't eight hundred, and again they were they were secreted internally, and he basically had been told he, a gun had been put to his head, and he was pretty much forced to to smuggle these drugs to to people back inside. And, you know, you're talking about like the, the 800 tablets one in the Midlands prison. They were all um, they were all kind of Valium type tablets, uh, you know, and, and and again, this is, you know, it's a way of, of getting through your time is, you know, you're you're, you're taking drugs like these and it's, it's much easier to see that the time slip by.
0: Yeah, I can understand that bit of it. I can understand them wanting to take something to escape from where they are because it's a real harsh reality the risks for those remand prisoners to carry drugs inside themselves like that, I mean, imagine if the whatever they're secreted in bursts or it goes into their system, that's an enormous amount of, nobody could survive that. A yeah, I
1: mean, there is a risk, but I mean, it, w- it wouldn't compare to, you know, the body packers that we see who take, you know, long flights and they're on a flight for two or three hours and they, they swallow bags. I mean, these are, how would you say, they're at the other end of the digestive tract, so they're not going to, they're not going to be in the body as long, so you know whatever they're wrapped in isn't going to corrupt as quickly, and there's a you know there's there's less chance of you know, a, a condom or a doubly wrapped you know um, bag of drugs basically breaking open and, and entering someone's system. So there, there there is less risk. In fairness, I haven't actually heard of any stories where people have become very ill. Now there has there has of course been people very ill. Uh, as a result of of taking the drugs like you know again like because you're using stuff like fentanyl and w i think w18 which is another kind of um you know artificially made you know it's a it's a lab a lab made opioid and the the strengths can vary so i mean depending on on the batch you've got or you don't really know how strong it is and uh, like and we all know from the opioid crisis in in the states like even small amounts of like tiny amounts of fentanyl can, can prove fatal to people. So, I mean, there is that risk. There's also the risk to the, the prison officers who are searching people. And, you know, they have they call the operational support group. They're the kind of the specialist search teams that, you know, can be called in by governors uh, if they have intelligence or if they have suspicions about something. And, and these guys come in, but they, you know, they're they're kind of trained to that now. Um, but, and it is something that they they have to be aware with, like the the, the dangers posed by, I suppose, the strengths of some of these drugs. But uh, I haven't heard, I haven't heard of like, you know, uh, a smuggling mule, so to speak, um, you know, dying as a result of, of, you know, in, internally secreting the, the goods. But uh, it's, it's, and they've done some interesting things, like uh, like the drug spice, which is like you know, it's again, it's 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 made to look like cannabis. It's mixed with herbs, but it's actually just a, another chemical that's made in a lab, and it, it supposedly mimics the 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 effects of marijuana. And and that can be that, that can be kind of dried into your clothes, so people can come in wearing something, and then they're able to extract it or or whatever whether they do then. And, and that's also now being applied. They're using, you know, well, they've done it for years with, with LSD, but also with fentanyl, with, um, you know, with, you know, letters and, and photographs from family members that were, were being basically treated with these drugs. Now, they, the prison system, I think it was just it was early enough last year. And again, it was a story that I think we broke in the Sunday world about they were using what are known as ion scanners. And they're basically just look like you know they look like a, a photocopy or something, and they were able to search. They were able to basically check all the correspondence being sent in. So you had people like you know sending photographs of their kids, but they were actually laced with with you know dangerous drugs. Uh, but that route was cut off um, because of the scanners had mm-hmm. been you know they were simp- they were very effective, and they kind of stopped that in its tracks. But of course, you know when you're you're behind bars, you've got all day to think about it, and you really do want to get your your merchandise inside. So. Like the the only correspondence that exempt from that sort of testing is your legal correspondence. So there's been cases now of both, you know, people asking their lawyers to send stuff in to in, in, into a family member inside, and they say, look, you know, mother died, and you know, here's a picture of her, and says, so can you send it in? And they, they'll, they'll 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 try to get it in with legal papers unbeknownst to the solicitors. Um, but there's also been cases of where. Um, people have actually uh, forged what looks like, you know, genuine, they look like, um, uh, solicitors, letters and, and files coming in the post. Whereas in fact, they're, you know, a stolen franking machine was used and people have mocked up letterheads and all the rest. So that's, that's again, proving, you know, that has uh, proven tricky, but I think they're, they're kind of, they're wise to it now. I mean, there's a lot of, mm. um, there, there was a lot of different, I mean, like when, when the visitors are, are back now again in the prisons, uh, but they are—they're not physically searched. But they, they walk through a metal detector. Um, they have—they have, they have a, a, a wand type thing where a swab is put in, and that this wand is, is swiped over um, a visitor's hands and their shoulders, their arms. And if there's any kind of a sense that there's a, 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 a drug. If, if, if there's a kind of a positive reaction to it, you know, and that the drugs are detected, they're basically just asked, Do you want to reschedule your visit to another time?" And similarly with the metal detectors, if you, if you if you if it goes off, you get you know you're asked if you want to reschedule it, or you know you can try going through the metal detector again. So they they don't you know visitors civilians aren't bodily searched as such you know on the on their way in.
0: So if they did get something in, and we know that they during COVID they weren't allowed in, which may have you know sort of made other methods particularly through the kitchen network uh more popular during that period of time but say we're back to normal times with visitors so if I was going to visit somebody and I got some drugs in um and like so I could carry it on my clothes I wouldn't need to carry it internally if I'm not searched but how do you then get it to the prisoner because presumably during visits you're not allowed to touch one another
1: no but you well, in, in, some, in some prisons, you, they're not all screened visits. I mean, certainly Clover Hill would have been, I suppose, the first prison where they had, you know, completely screened visits. And it's kind of seen as it's a loss of privilege if you have to take your visits behind, um, you know, behind the glass. Mm. But no, I mean, it is. And I, I guess it's part of, of you know, a rehabilitation of prisoners that they're able to, you know, touch their kids or, or, or give a hug or whatever. But I mean, it's, it's, it is monitored and supervised. But I mean, basically, you'd be down to kind of, trying to slide something, you know, from your underwear to to his underwear, <laughs> like, you know, or right. her underwear, um, you know, under the table or whatever way it works, or, you know, you're, you're, you're kissing someone and you, you, you pass something, you know, mouth to mouth. I mean, that's, you know, we, again, we've seen that in the movies. But, I mean, that does work. I mean, you know, children with, you know, with drugs hidden in their nappies as happens. I mean, did a story on a, a very elderly grandmother in her mobility scooter who was caught, you know, and she had drugs and the guards were called in that case and she ended up in court. So, I mean, look, it, it happens. and But it happens, again, what we we're talking about earlier because of the power, you know, and, and the power dynamic that if you have a vulnerable prisoner, they, they're going to be vulnerable to being bullied by other inmates and say, get your granny to bring in the drugs for me, get your, you know, Get your girlfriend, or even you'd have you're getting a visitor. Pretend so and so is now your girlfriend, and she's nothing to do with you. But you 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 have to put it down as one of your three people that you're allowed to phone, or one of the people that you know are you, you request a visit. Now, I think some of the some of the, the prison system, you know, they have reasonable enough intel; they can sometimes spot when this is happening. But it doesn't, you know, nothing is foolproof, and you've people that are constantly trying to get in, you know, and and sometimes you know, I mean. I mean, there, the drones were were quite an issue for a while, particularly in in the Midlands, where um, you had you had several attempts where they were using commercial sized drones to drop in large caches of drugs into exercise yards, uh, and but that's dropped off now. They've changed the type of windows they have, I know, in the Midlands. Plus, you have on the prison next door. You, 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 luckily enough, you have the army on duty because it's the high it's high security, so they can kind of see it happening. But like, you still have in in Dublin. They've resorted to back to the old-fashioned throw over the wall, like you know, and get the guys who are quite skilled in knowing exactly where to stand to land, a, you know, a tennis ball or whatever, you know, full of drugs into into the exercise yard. And again, that's timed, you know. You 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 know, if a package of drugs comes over the wall, you um, I mean your job as an ordinary prisoner is to is to you know shove it into your trousers and fi- you know, and it's definitely not your drugs, but you pass it on to some, you pass it on to where it's supposed to go you know, you know or, or else you're in trouble if you don't help. You know, I mean, there's, there's yeah. so many stories over the years. I mean, that, like years ago, there was a young kid that, you know, from my hometown who ended up, he, he was on uh, remand for some minor enough crime and he was on cleaning duty between the perimeter fence and the inner fence in, I think, Clover Hill or somewhere like that. And found a, uh, you know a, a, he found a supply of heroin, which he'd never used before and died of an overdose that night then in his cell, trying it for the first time. So, you, you know, you, you get, you've actually seen it, the, I mean, was it, was it in 2018 that um, uh, Derek Coakley Hutch was shot dead, um, uh, like close to Wheatfield Prison, and again, that was a drugs run, and somebody obviously knew. He was actually chucking the, the
0: drugs over the wall, that's what he was doing there at the time, so someone knew he was obviously going to be doing that, and he was targeted. Um A lot of this stuff probably is more, it's more small fry. You know, it's one individual to another and what you can carry in in a a small package or whatever. But the kind of the bigger seizures are really interesting. And you wrote a story just that last month there was 130,000 euro worth of drugs of cocaine and heroin and tablets found uh, along with 15 mini mobile phones. Now that is a big cachet of, of uh, contraband going into a prison. Yeah, and,
1: and no, it is. I mean, it was estimated like a street value of, you know, 135 to 150,000. So, you you, at, at, you know, most conservatively, you, you, you treble that. So it's potentially worth half a million. And it wasn't just um, like, and this is an important point. It wasn't just miniature mobile phones. There was a number of smartphones, which are much larger. So they're not coming in through like uh, the internal secretion method. So, so, you know, that shows a lot more um, organization. Now, this there's 14,000 LSD tablets. Um, that there were, I think there was cocaine as, as well as the phones. I mean, this is very much, you know, it was very much it was organized um, by people linked to the Kinan cartel. It was an Eastern European prisoner that was basically controlling the stash where, where, where it was hidden. Uh, again, which shows you how some of these guys can get sucked so. It was in.
0: Discovered in a cell, and did they find out how it got? No, in? they
1: haven't. But we do have an idea in, in that the previous November there was what was then described as the biggest um, uh, kind of drug seizure. It was about one hundred and seventy thousand euro worth, and that that was into Mountjoy as well. And again, it was linked to the Kinhen cartel. And in that there was something like there was there was um, something like twenty mobile phones. There was spare SIM cards. There was 800 grams of cannabis. There was um, 10,000 pills. Uh, there, there was also bottles of alcohol. There was um, Fitbits, you know, smart watches for recording your workout. Uh, and and that looks like uh, there was also, sorry, there was also cocaine in that as well. Uh, that they think now was, was actually smuggled in uh, among a pallet of goods that were delivered to the prison kitchen. So, and that the driver involved had no idea that this was going on. So somewhere along the line, somebody was able to move you know this illegal stash into uh, you know a legitimate cargo of goods destined for the prison, and then obviously you know uh, a contact in in the kitchen then was in the position to get it up to the landing. So we have to presume, though we don't know, that something similar happened in the most recent case. You know, I mean, it, it's, um, it's 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 just I mean, look, I mean, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing game or it's an ongoing battle, like you know. what I mean, and what people have to remember is
0: these prison populations of. What eight hundred in Mountjoy? I mean, they're fed three times a day. There's a huge amount of of goods being brought in to that prison every day, and presumably refuse, etc., leaving it. So there's probably a. It's probably busy, very busy, and particularly the kitchen.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there is going to be opportunities. And I mean, even like years ago, there, there was something very much similar again, and it was it was. It, but that time, it, it was linked to the Dundon McCarthy gang even though it was a Dublin jail, you know, a lot of them were, were actually, were, were serving their time there. And, and again, it, it was, it was a case of intimidation where there was a driver that was basically given, made an offer he couldn't refuse and, you know, was bringing in a bag full of contraband. Like, I don't remember the exact details, but it was, again, it was a mixture of, of drugs and phones, uh, it, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's personal stuff as well. Like, you know, um, you know, a, a dongle that you can use so you can, you know, you can watch, you know, whatever all your favorite Disney channels on your, on your laptop because obviously, you know, prisoners are allowed laptops, but they're not connected to the internet. So then if you smuggle in something that you can use to, to gain access to the outside world again, you know, it's, it's, it's it's about gaining access or, or, or else it's just about watching your own, you know, cable TV, you know, the channels on offer in the prison might not quite suit you. So it's your it's a way of, of, of making life more comfortable on the inside.
0: So there's two things going on. Firstly, it's for those who want to continue running their operations and a lot of particularly those that are in on drug offences, etc., will continue running their operations. And we've seen in the past there have been murders ordered from prison. Um, but it's also to relieve boredom. Um, and there's no doubt, but it must be hard going to serve a prison term. So what's the average kind of day like, say in Mountjoy Jail? Is it filled with activities or is there a lot of downtime?
1: I, I think it's, a, it's, it's really up to the prisoners themselves. I mean, they are offered courses and, and work. I mean, certainly in... Uh, in Mountjoy, there'll be a lot of, you know, work on offer, uh, you know, whether it's, I mean, obviously the kitchen seems to be the place where everyone likes to to try and get in. It's seen as, as the cushiest number, practically because I suppose you've got a little bit of extra food, um, you know, and, and you're busy. And I mean, but you, you see it, um, you know, I, I think if, if guys, you know, who don't work or, you know, are unable to work or, you haven't got the wherewithal or, you know, have serious addiction issues on the outside. A lot of them, when they go in, it, it either, either they, life continues the same on the inside or some of them will use it as an opportunity. Like it's much harder to get drugs and they clean up and it's the first time they have a bit of, you know, three square meals a day um, and they, they do whatever courses are available. Education is available. And now it's, it's it, you know, I think some of it was cut back during during COVID. Um, but, you know, I think it is possible to fill your days with something you know, more useful than mm. sitting around watching TV or plotting ways to, to intimidate other prisoners or, or smuggle drugs in. but I'm sure though like you know obviously time hangs heavy at night time you know when everyone's everyone's locked down I mean it's it, I think the, the days start a lot earlier than they would on the outside you know it's kind of from seven o'clock on and I think that you, you know everyone's is back in their cells like around five o'clock in, uh, and that's you know and that's it. you're in then again you know you're not out again till till seven the next morning.
0: So from the prison service point of view, that video that we we started off this discussion with um, of Trevor Byrne celebrating his birthday, it's probably the biggest concern in that video, as you said, is that smartphone. How did that get in? Where is it and what has it been used for?
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's it. I mean, and when you talk about, you know, it's been smuggled in the way stuff is smuggled in, like, you know, it's okay. it's a crime on, on it by itself. To have a, a mobile phone in, in in a prison, it's a maximum of a five year sentence, which I don't think I've seen given out. They, you know, people usually get prisoners usually get another two or three months, and it's usually concurrent with whatever they're doing. Uh, but it's but the, the chances are another crime has been committed, whether it's you know someone's been intimidated or someone's been bribed. I mean, like it's important, like. It's important to mention, I think, as well, that, you know, over the years, there has been a a small number of prison officers who have been caught red-handed. So, I mean, again, that's something that I know worries some prison officers that, you know, if they think one of their colleagues is breaching, you know, what is a huge trust by, you know, dealing with criminals, by bringing them in drugs or mobile phones or whatever, then they're kind of worried, well, what do they know about my own personal life? You know, what else has this, you know, corrupt prison officer done you know, and that's a huge beach of trust. And there has been a couple of significant cases. One of them, uh, you know, you'd be very well aware of uh, Thomas Hinchin, like, you know, openly boasted about having bent prison officers on his payroll. And now there was just there was one man uh, called Dylan O'Brien, sir, four years. And he, he was caught, you know, smuggling contraband into into him in Mount Joy. Um, you had there, there was a, a, a quite a high profile case, again, another jail sentence, Uh, Thomas Corrie, he was a a Limerick prison officer and he was caught at a checkpoint with a whole range of drugs that he was alleged. You know, well, it wasn't alleged. He he was convicted of of planning to bring that into the prison. Uh, And again, you had another kind of Limerick based one or Limerick linked one with Trevor Gleeson. He he was slightly unusual in that uh, he admitted that he, he was bringing drugs into the Midlands prison. He he'd been caught with drugs uh, near Kildare town. He was he was spotted in a car with a, a known criminal. Now he had, he admitted that he, he was he he was in possession of the drugs and that but his defence was that he had been intimidated and he was an inexperienced officer and that basically the the McCarthy Dundans had him over a barrel and he didn't know what to do and uh, he he was he was convicted and then he that was overturned on appeal. So, like he was—he was, he was never—he he was originally convicted, but he admitted doing. it. But it was an insight into into how it can work, and that they were, they were able to kind of, you know, the, the gangsters involved. Were, you know, as far as from what we know from what he said in court, there was one time he was in an underground car park in the uh, the collection hotel in Port Lige and a man walked up and pulled a gun on him and told him he had to cooperate with this. So. I mean that that was his that's what that was his defence, um, which ultimately you know it held up in that he he, he was he was acquitted on appeal, but it, but it does give you an insight into how you know. Um, these guys are always targeting. They're always targeting somebody. I mean, there, there was a solicitor, um, Joanne Kangley, uh, got a suspended sentence. She gave a mobile phone to uh, a notorious rapist, who then used it to intimidate a victim. Now, her, her again, her defence was that she was so frightened that she felt she had no choice but to co- cooperate, and you know, lived in fear of being attacked by his associates. So, I mean, there, there was all. I mean, you know, the, the gangsters, the criminals, they're always going to look for a weak link. Um, and, th- and they're not going to stop. I mean, we just have to face facts that some criminals, when they get locked up, they don't stop being criminals. They're just criminals who are locked up somewhere else, you know, for a change. But they're still going to do what they do or try to do what they do.
0: And finally, Eamon, it seems to me that the prison service, like many other arms of the state, have to robustly fight back against this growing risk threat of corruption. And um, you know, as there's more and more money falls into the hands of of these these dealers, like what are they doing to try and you know um, fight back with it? I mean, what, what's what sort of measures are they taking um, to? communicate that this is not going to happen on their watch and certainly that they're going to keep a a very close eye for any signs of of corruption of their own staff.
1: Yeah, well, I I know that they they have continual sort of information campaigns within the prison system aimed at, you know, uh, prisoners and presumably prison officers as well, that, you you know, there's alternatives to to drug use. Uh, But I mean, look, I mean, it's really down to the vigilance of individual officers if they consider that you know one of their colleagues is, is is acting in a way that they shouldn't be, and now it is it seems to be thankfully very rare that it seems to happen. I think it's partly because of the nature of the job. I think that there's such a, an, a you have to have a, an element of trust. I mean, they're potentially dangerous places, and you can't really afford to work with someone you're not comfortable working with. I mean, because they're the person that is going to help you or get you out of trouble if, if something happens. So. I, you know, but I mean, look—it's it's just an ongoing—it's an ongoing battle. I mean, it, I suppose in prison just reflects society in the outside. I mean, like Ireland has a Ireland has a humane prison system compared to to other even European countries, and and there has to be a balance between keeping drugs out and allowing people to have a certain you know a certain level of normal life, in in the on, you know on the idea that they're not all hardened criminals, they're not all you know gangland thugs like Trevor Byrne, who uh, you know I'm sure you'll agree with me, isn't going to change his spots overnight, isn't going to come out of prison, you know, having seen the light and a rehabilitated, you know, member of society. I mean, it's, it's possible, but it's, it's doubtful. Where are, there are other, you know, just just ordinary Joes to some extent, like, you know, who've made mistakes or made a series of bad decisions and they've ended up, you know, one too many bad decisions. And finally, the, the, the time they, they spend in jail, it gives them the kickstart to actually change their life and change it around. And that does happen as well. And so it's not to lose sight of that, that you know, it's it's not all doom and gloom, that there is life after prison. And that's why you have that's why you have open visits, that's why you have, you know, people been able to to meet their children or, or, or the wives or girlfriends or, or parents or whoever. But unfortunately, then you're going to have you're going to have um, nasty gangsters who are going to try and exploit that and force individuals into doing things they don't want to do. So we can't
0: we can't rule just for the bad ones. We have to always remember that there are good people in there too. Eamon Dillon, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. Crime World is brought to you in association with Manscaped, who provide an incredible, complete men's grooming experience. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools and is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. We have an exclusive offer for Crime World listeners, 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEWORLD at manscaped.com.